morning. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings. Book of 1 Kings. We've been dancing around these chapters for the last few weeks. We started by looking at Ahab. Then we looked at uh, Elijah. We looked at Jezebel. And uh, last week we looked at Jehoshaphat. And these were all contemporaries to each other, and today we'll look at yet another contemporary, but the beginning of a new generation, beginning of a new generation. Elisha, I'll try to uh, pronounce carefully his name in the English language, as well as Elijah. There were two different people. Uh, sometimes people get them mixed up, don't realize there were actually two, but there were two of them. The first was Elijah. The Hebrew is Eliyahu, and the second is Elisha, and the Hebrew is Elisha. But I'll try to stick to the English pronunci- pronunciation, and you'll have to help me try to tell the two of them apart, since there's going to be a lot of interaction between the two here. Let's start in verse 15. Uh, did I give you the chapter yet? First Kings chapter 19. Everybody hear me? First King chapter 19, verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mecholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So just as a background here, if you remember, Matt uh, spoke about Elijah a few weeks ago. And Elijah had this uh, downturn, if you would, in his spiritual walk. After his great victory on Mount Carmel, he uh, gets ready to storm the fortress of Jezreel, but he hears about Jezebel planning to kill him, and he runs away. And after that, he's very despondent. He feels like he failed the Lord. He asked the Lord to take his life, and the Lord says, I have other plans. And uh, Elijah's ministry will continue for some time, but one of the things that God does tell Elijah to do, and that was in... uh, Verse 16 was to anoint Elisha, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, as prophet in his place. So what we have here is uh, what we will call the call of Elisha. God is calling him for a specific job. He will become the next prophet of Israel. It's perhaps a pretty serious call. You're going to take the, replace the, the, how do you call it, step into the shoes of somebody like Elijah who was there standing against a nation that was rebelling against God and demonstrating who the true God is, trying to turn the people from their idolatry to the living God. And uh, yet, I would submit to you today that our call is not so different than that of Elisha. A lot of time, you'll hear the words of such a call. This person has a calling. What do we mean by that? Well, what we hopefully mean by that in the good sense is there's something specific that God wants that person to do. 
And it might be a great calling. We might think of someone like George Mueller, whom God had uh, start uh, uh, caring for, for uh, uh, pe- uh, children that had no parents and uh, no provision, and he set up orphanage homes for them. And uh, he never asked for a penny from anyone. And yet, by the end of his life, he provided for thousands of orphans. Uh, just a calling that God had, a special job that God had for him. Uh, what about us? Do we have a calling? Does God have a calling for you? Is there something that God wants you to do? Well, I, I would submit to you today that God does have a calling for you. And uh, we can turn to verses in the scriptures. For example, one of people's favorite favorite verses is this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And often we stop over there. But it actually continues, says, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Which means uh, Christians are not just defined as people who love God, but are people that are called by God for a specific purpose. God has a purpose for you. Well, what is that calling that God has for you? Well, I again would submit to you that there's probably at least three elements of God's calling that are common to every person in this room. Okay? Now, there will be differences. I'll get into that. But, but there's, there's some things in common. Uh, perhaps the most obvious thing people think about, well, I'm called uh, to heaven or I'm called to be saved. I'm, God, is, God is calling me to himself. And that's good. Uh, I would perhaps... Uh, differentiate between being called to heaven and, and focus on uh, called to be with God because that's really his purpose for us. It's not just to be in heaven, it's to be with him. In fact, a lot of the time we talk about having eternal life, Jesus said this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. Heaven is about having a relationship with God. Well, God has called you to have a relationship with himself. Okay, a uh, second thing that would be common to everybody here is really taken from that verse that I read, uh, talking about what's the good. God's working all things together for good, for believers. Well, it continues in saying, for whom he did for know, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There it talks about we're predestined to, or called to become like Jesus. Okay, God wants to make us like him. And as I'm talking about this, uh, I want to emphasize that this is similar to the calling that God had for, for Elijah as a prophet. A lot of time we think about a prophet, well, he needs to go out there and preach to people and do miracles. Well, that's true. But the number one calling that God had for Elijah was to come to know him as well. Without Elijah coming to know God, he would be useless to God. He had to first come and have a personal, and really a growing relationship with God, which we'll start getting an inkling of today as we look at Elisha. Second, God had to also work in Elisha and make him like God. How useless will Elisha be if he's preaching against the worship of Baal and the sin of the people when Elisha is participating in the same thing? If Elisha was also an idol worshiper or in other ways conforming to the ways of the world at his time, his voice would be worthless for God. God couldn't use him to preach or minister to people. And so God had to work in him and change him as well. Finally, uh, the... A third aspect of our call that's really common to all of us and also to Elisha is found in uh, John chapter 7 and starting at verse 37. So if you want to keep a finger at uh, 1 Kings because we'll turn back there, you could go to John and chapter 7, the Gospel of John chapter 7. 
This is, by the way, uh, a feast day. A feast day for Israel. It uh, was uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles, or in Hebrew we call it Sukkot, which was really to remember the walking of the children of Israel with God. It was really a holiday more than anything else to remember the fellowship that they had with God in the desert and perhaps foreshadowing the fellowship they were going to have with God in the future when uh, the messianic reign would come and, and God would dwell in their midst. Uh, but this was uh, the holiday as it was celebrated in Jesus' day. It was uh, Everybody was gathered to the temple and various things were going on. And it says on the last day, the, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was inviting people that wanted to know God. You're here, you want to know God, you want to have fellowship with God? Well, I am here. Come to me and drink. He was really inviting people to have the relationship with himself. But then there was the promise in verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what's the rivers of living water? It says in the next verse, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be coming out of their lives. And here really is where we have the definition for the word prophet. In the Hebrew, the word is Navi. And literally what it means is a place where water comes welling up of the ground. So if you, if you walked in the mountains and everything is dry, there's no water, and then there's a little place that's green and you go close and you'll see that in that one place you have water that's come, kind of coming, bubbling up from the ground. And sometimes there might be a stream downhill from it. But that's the place the water actually comes up. Well, that's the Hebrew word for prophet. And the picture is beautiful because you're walking in a world where there's no knowledge of God and here in one place, there's the bubbling up, the knowledge of God. God is making himself known to the people around here. And what Jesus is saying here is he wants the same thing in our lives. We're supposed to be this walking fountain of God. Wherever I walk, God should be bubbling up out of my life. It's not me, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit. But God should be using me in such a way that the, the influence is God is felt where I am. Right? That's, that's the calling. It's, it's to be a vessel that God can use to reach others. And uh, we, this is where things will start varying for people. I would say all the three things I talked about are the same. I mean, they apply to all of us. But God might use different people in different ways. And we see it particularly in the church. It says that God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to minister to the saints. I have a gift that I'm supposed to use to minister to you. You have a gift that God has given you. You're supposed to use it to minister to me and to other believers around. But it's not the same gifts. There are the gifts of, of leading, uh, there's the gifts of, of teaching, there's the gifts of helps, there's the gifts of giving. There's different things that God has given us that we can use to bless other people. It's the power of God in our life to be, a, uh, if you would, a vessel to bless other people. The same is probably true when he talks about reaching the world. Uh, Muller had a great ministry of, uh, with orphans, and perhaps the chief persons who were blessed were the orphans that he would raise, he would feed, and he would teach. Uh, D.L. Moody had a great preaching ministry. He would go around the world and preach to thousands of people. And, and many thousands would respond to his invitations and, and be saved. And each of us has different opportunities with people on the outside. It might be 
neighbors, might be family members, might be co-workers, that God wants us to use us in reaching them, if you would, with the blessing of God, really, to come to know him, because he is the source of all blessings. All right? So we all have this call. We're all supposed to be used by God as a blessing for others. And uh, we want to keep it in mind as we look at Elisha. Turn back to First Kings, because we want to apply the examples of Elisha to our life. How, how did Elisha receive his call? How did he respond to his call? How can we maybe learn from uh, his response and apply it to our own lives? Okay, so we're back in First King, Kings and chapter 19 and now verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha. This is Elijah we're talking about now. He departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and served him. So we see here Elijah is coming now back from the desert. He's going to do the job that God asked him to do. So he, found, he finds Elisha uh, working in the field. Elisha was a farmer, apparently an extremely successful farmer. If you were, uh, typically the job of a farmer will be you break up the ground, you put some seeds in it, you water it, you weed it, hopefully some plants are going to come up. If, if you're a farmer of some means, you'll probably have a donkey to help you uh, uh, do your work and you would put a, a, a plow behind him and basically the donkey plows up, goes forward and you have a little stick that sticks in the ground and you're pushing it into the ground as the donkey walks forward and that helps breaks up the ground which might be easier than you going with a shovel and having to do all the work yourself. Well, if you're a farmer of more means, you'll have an ox, because ox are stronger than a donkey. And if you have the latest and greatest, it's two ox with a yoke between them that you, uh, Rick talked to us about it last time, which you tie, again, the plow behind, and now you really have a lot of force going for you. You can really do some serious groundbreaking. Well, Elisha had 12 of those. He had 12 yoke of oxen, so that's 24 oxen. And at least 11 servants that were working for him, helping him with the work. So he was, he was a really, if you would, a successful farmer. Had a great future before him in the farming industry. But God had other plans. So Elijah comes behind him as he's doing his work. And he, he takes his own mantle and he puts it on Elisha's shoulder. Now a mantle, it's, it's not a word that was used very uh, frequently in the Old Testament. It clearly was a special form of garment. It wasn't just a standard jacket that people had. Uh, if you remember uh, Achan going into uh, Jericho and stealing a Babylonian garment, that was one of those. It was a, a specially precious garment. You really only find the people who wear it in the Old Testament are prophets and kings. So this was a vesture of some significance. And so when Elijah goes ahead and puts it on Elisha, he's not, not saying, I hope you stay warm and it's kind of cold out there. He's saying, uh, buddy... You got the job. 
and he walks away. And uh, Elisha is obviously kind of stunned, but somehow he, he gets the message. He understands what uh, Elijah is, is doing, and he runs after him. Wait, wait, you know, let me go do this first. You know, I'll come, I'll follow you, but first I want to, to go and kiss my parents. Well, you know, it sounds really good uh, what uh, Elisha is doing here. He certainly seems to be willing to go. There's only one problem. is What he says is almost exactly what somebody else says in the New Testament. And I'll just read it to you. In Luke, uh, Luke it says, uh, when the Lord was calling disciples, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It was a man apparently trying to do the same thing, telling Jesus, I'm happy to follow you, but some business I have to take care of at home. I want to say goodbye properly to my parents and all of that. And uh, Jesus says that this is not right. A person that's being called to serve God is putting something else ahead of it. As, as reasonable and as good as what that person is saying might sound, there's a problem. He, he, he doesn't have things set quite right in his life. Okay, his, his priorities are not right. God is not coming first. The, the service that God has for him is not the first thing in his life. There's something, however reasonable, however good, from a human point of view, view that he's putting on top, ahead, a priority before the job that God is asking him to do. Uh, so, apparently that's what, what, what Elisha was too. It's interesting, when you look at Elijah's response, uh, he says, uh, again in verse 20, Elijah says to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And you kind of wonder, what's Elijah doing here? Come on, God told you to recruit this guy. It doesn't seem like Elijah is trying very hard. Well, Elijah is doing exactly the right thing. He's letting God take care of it. God's the one who called Elisha, and he says, look, I'm not responsible here. It's God that's giving you the call. You're going to have to answer to him, not to me. And uh, we can see here a complete change in Elisha's attitude. It's like he drops the whole thing about going home. He takes one of his yoke of oxen, sacrifices them, offers them, uh, and feeds the people. And really, to me, that's the first part of, of answering our call. The most, one of the most important things in answering the call that God has for us is recognizing that that call is coming from God. You have to understand that what, what you're doing is what God wants you to do. If you're doing something to please somebody else, um, you know, even uh, your, your uh, uh, pastor, elder, you know, parents, it's not, you, you'll have other things that comes in the way. It's the recognition that this is what God wants me to do that will become critical. It kind of puts everything into light. Look, God gave you everything you have. He gave you your parents. Okay, what do you mean you're going to put God behind your parents? He gave them to you. God is the one that has your parents' life in his very hand. You can go home to kiss them goodbye. You'll find them dead on the floor. Not that God would do something like that, but it shows your feeling is inverted. Okay, God comes first. He's the one that holds everything in his hand. He's the one who gave everything. His priority must come first. All right. Uh, second thing we see here, and I already started uh, talking about it, is uh, Elisha's uh, sacrificing, or not really sacrificing, but taking one of these uh, extremely expensive yokes of oxen and sacrificing them and offering them up with all the tools that probably were also uh, worth a lot in that day. And he offers them to, to the Lord. What is he doing here? Well, it's hard to look at that without remembering, again, what, what we have in the New Testament. Really, the same chapter in Luke, 
Jesus said this, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. There was something that was big in Elijah's, Elisha's life. He was a, a successful farmer. He had a, a, a great prospect for him to continue in that field. And basically what he was saying is, I'm giving this up for God. It was a, a beautiful illustration of, of his action by sacrificing the oxen uh, and giving, giving the food to the people around him. <coughs> and this is uh, the second lesson we learn here as far as what's critical, a critical response in us toward God's call. If, if we want to answer God's call in our life, the first thing that has to come is, well, what about your personal ambition? Everybody here has personal ambition, something that, that's precious to you in this world, something you want to do. It might be a career, it might be marriage, uh, it might be owning a home, or uh, uh, becoming part, any other of the things that this world offers. And grasping and holding on to that will keep you from the call that God has for your life. If you're going to hold on for what you want to do, well, here's God, he's calling you, he has something wonderful for you to do. Well, as long as you're holding here, you're not going to have what God has for you. And Jesus said it this way, uh, as I just quoted, asking people to deny themselves, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Whosoever will save his life, well, meaning, if I'm trying to save my life, if, if the things that I have in my, in, my, in my life are so precious to me, my house, my home, uh, my career, and I'm trying to save it. In a sense, I'm almost trying to save it from God. Don't take it away. <laughs> Let me keep it. Well, he'll lose his life. Meaning, he's going to lose the thing that God has prepared for him to do. And on the other hand, the person who's, who loses it, like, I'm going to let it go, like Elisha was doing. I'm going to let it all go. The same shall save it. Meaning, he'll have that life that God has for you. And there's nothing better in in this life than to be a channels of God's blessing. What's better than walking around and God using you in different ways to reach and touch other people's life and be a blessing to them? There's nothing. But we will lose all of that if we try to hold on to the thing that we have in this world. All right, the third, third thing we have in this example, it's really the last uh, part of the last verse. It says, Then he, Elisha, arose and followed Elijah and served him. Uh, Elisha recognizes that he needs help. Okay? It's interesting. Elijah is not offering it to him. Elijah is like, okay, <laughs> you got the job. And Elisha is like, wait a second. I need help. I can't just go on and be the prophet for God, for this nation. And he runs after Elijah and wants to follow him. In fact, he becomes his servant to be able to stay with the guy and learn everything he has to teach. And uh, that's that's a, forget which one we're on, I think it's number three. The third important lesson we have to learn if we want to answer God's call in our life. I remember when, uh, shortly after I became saved, uh, Rick approached me and, and offered to meet with me. And I said, oh, that's all right, I have this other guy meeting here at, at Berkeley. And it was true, there was a guy there, he was a missionary for Jews for Jesus, and we actually did meet a few times, and I think that guy wanted to make sure I had the basis covered as far as understanding the Trinity, Jesus being God, uh, salvation being by faith, but it just was maybe three or four 
uh, maybe hour-long lessons uh, with the guy. But I still told Rick I wasn't interested in meeting with him at the time. So really the opposite of the response, response Elisha is taking. Elisha is begging for help and I'm here, oh no, no thank you, I don't need help. I'm okay. <laughs> and I, looking back at it, I think there were perhaps uh, two, two reasons I said no to Rick at the time. And for everybody to finish, finish the story later, about a year later I did start meeting with Rick. You're wondering what happened. But at the time, I think there were two things. Number one, I think there was some fear. I think I found Rick a little bit intimidating. But uh, I think it was a fear of a particular thing. Okay, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that there was anything wrong about Rick. We have our lives. And uh, our lives are not perfect. And when you meet with somebody with the purpose of, you know, help me become, answer God's calling for my life. Well, invariably, they'll, you know, find out where we are. And I don't want them to find out where I am because I'm not perfect. Well, the problem is, well, it's true, we're all not perfect. And yet, God wants to work on those areas in your life that are not perfect. If you hide them and say, well, you know, I'm not interested, Guess what? God can't work on those areas of your life. He's not going to force himself upon you. He'll try to wake you up, maybe. But you have to be willing and willing to open up and say, yes, I'm not perfect. Here's an area I'm struggling with. Will you please help me with this area? And yet, if I refuse to do that, I'm I'm really stealing, taking away from me the blessing that God, the help that God had for me by helping me deal with this area in my life. It was really to my own hurt that I was uh, denying him. The other half of it was, was pride which is obviously related, thinking that I can do it on my own. I don't really need his help, you know. Hey, I got, you know, God, I got the Bible, I got the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, God in his uh, wonderful sovereignty and his economy of uh, blessing people wants to use people. He could maybe have directly dealt with every person, but he likes using people to bless other people. And he wanted to use Rick, and he probably wants to use somebody else in your life to help you and bless you. And if you think, oh, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good enough, I don't need any help. Again, I'm just hurting myself. Here's a tool that God has offered to help me. And I'm rejecting it, saying, oh, no, thanks, I'm okay. God, God's taking care of me. Well, this is how God was going to take care of me. I'm just, I'm just pushing that away, pushing it away. And really, pride is, is a source of so many falls in the Christian life. I uh, know it in my own life. It says that God dwells in the high and lofty place and with him that has a humble heart or a contrite heart. Really, God loves people that are humble like Elisha, which in this case is like, hey, help me out, Elisha. God loves that, and, and he blesses that. And when you're like, I don't know, thank you, I don't need a lot of help here. Well, God hates that. He resists the proud. He's not going to bless you when you, out of pride, are rejecting what he has for you. Let's continue in Second uh, Kings. So we, we saw here the call of Elisha, and so Elisha followed, uh, followed Elijah, Second uh, King chapter 2. And uh, I'm guessing that there was probably a period of a few years where Elijah was, Elisha was following Elijah or serving him as a servant, during which uh, they had this discipleship relationship. This was really the ideal discipleship relationship. You're not just meeting with somebody, you know, once a week or once a month, but you really are getting to know then he really got to see Elijah and how Elijah was serving God and how Elijah was doing everything for the Lord. He was really giving him an example. 
And if Elijah was a, a, a good uh, disciple, he probably had Elisha practicing at the same time. You think of the ministry of the Lord with the 12 disciples and how first they got to see and then he started giving them power and sending them and encouraging, training them for the work they would have to do when he was gone. So Elijah was probably doing the same thing with Elisha, training him for the work that he needed to do when Elijah was gone. So in chapter 2 of Second Kings, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. And Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. All right, so we're now looking at the last day of Elijah on, on the earth, or some period of time, the last section. And he knows he's going to be taken. And apparently he's making it clear because everybody knows about it, at least of the sons of the prophets. This might represent somehow the 7,000 men in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And uh, Elisha knows about it. And it seems like Elijah is basically telling Elisha, look, why are you following me? Get going. Start the work that the Lord has called you. That's it. I'm going to go now. And Eli- Elisha is like not willing to let go. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, uh, and you see the same kind of, uh, if you would, attitude problem with, uh, with the sons of the prophets. And I'm sure that they're coming to uh, Elisha and they're basically, hey, you know, you're going to be the big boss. Like, you know, the guy over I mean, I'm sure Elijah told everybody, well, the Lord called Elisha. Elisha is going to be the prophet after me. And now Elisha, Elijah is telling everybody, I'm going to be gone. And they're like, you know, coming, trying to rub shoulders with Elisha a little bit. And Elisha is having none of it. You know, he's, he's upset about the whole thing. He doesn't want to talk about it. And uh, even we see it at the end, really, with the question of Elijah to Elisha at the end. You know, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, clearly, Elisha wants something... <laughs> And Elijah is like, all right, what do you want me to do? And Elisha says, you know, I want the double spirit of, of what you have. And it sounds uh, strange to our ears, and we're thinking, well, you know, is Elisha asking to be twice as great of a prophet as Elijah was? Well, that's probably not it. The, the double portion, uh, the double portion in, in the scriptures typically talks about the inheritance of the firstborn or the heir. If you were 
a father and maybe you had a great estate and many children, you'll give something to every child. But to the firstborn or the heir, you'll give him a double portion. So whatever everybody else gets, he'll get two of it. And really what Elisha is asking for, he wants to be the heir. He's saying, give me what it takes. You know, I want a double portion. I, I want what it takes to do this job because I don't have it. And uh, we could look at, uh, at Elisha down, but uh, I can sympathize. <laughs> I remember the first time I had to preach at, at Calvary. And uh, I was maybe growing somewhat over the years. I've, I've started meeting with Rick. I forget which year. I think maybe 98. Um, okay, either 97 or 98 and I was involved in teaching a Bible study in Berkeley and I think I was given some opportunities of teaching Sunday school we were taking turns those days and uh, I forget exactly how it happened but I think Rick said I'd like you to you know, stand up and preach a sermon and I was like okay you know, I, you know, if that's what the Lord wants I'll do it and uh, things went alright until maybe about a week before and then I started feeling, you know, really inadequate for the job. And it was just getting worse and worse. And I remember uh, the Saturday before I preached, I called Rick. And I said, Rick, what's going on? You know, I can't do it. And Rick said, all right, come over. And uh, he, he spent with me, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour or so, I think, just trying to help me with my message and trying to encourage me. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I just wouldn't be encouraged. I, I, I don't know if Rick remembers that. You know, I, I was waiting for something else. Say something more. <laughs> because what you said is not helping. You know, I just don't feel like I can do it. And that's where uh, Elisha appears to be here. Let me continue in verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. Oh, actually, uh, sorry, verse 10. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. So this is Elijah's response to Elisha. So Elisha is asking for an encouragement here, some sort of help to do his ministry. And Elijah is saying, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord, God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. All right. So the first thing we have here is Elijah is trying to encourage Elisha. Remember, Elisha is asking for, for some help. I need help to do this job. And Elijah is really giving him an encouragement, saying, well, you've asked for something hard, but let me tell you what. Watch me when I'm gone. You see me when I live, you know, it'll be for you what you asked. If you don't, then not. All right. Well, what is that all about? I, I, I have to confess, that's probably the verse I spent the most time thinking about. The Lord is with Elisha. 
he called him. Okay? He, he was there for Elijah. He was going to do everything he did for Elijah. All the miracles that Elijah did and more are going to be done by Elijah because the Lord called him. The Lord was there with him. But Elisha was not seeing it. Elisha had no faith or confidence at this particular time. And he needed it. And really what Elijah was giving him here is a sign of encouragement. And if you think about this whole situation with Elijah rising up to heaven, it's clearly a sign that the Lord is doing. This, is, this was a very exceptional thing. There's only one other guy this happened to uh, in the history of the world as we know it. And here it was, uh, a sign being done, probably partly to the nation of Israel. They're the one that Elijah was preaching to, and he was trying to show them, look, the Baal you're worshipping is nothing, is an idol. This is the true God. And that's what a demonstration in, in Mount Carmel was all about, to show the true God. Well, this was another one. He was a man who never died. When he fulfilled his ministry, God simply took him to heaven. And you think of a greater sign to show that this man was serving God and doing what God wanted him to do. And that's the God you want to follow. If you're going to follow anyone, follow that God. So it was a sign for all of Israel, but here was Elisha getting it full blast in his face. Nobody else had it like that. There were 50 guys of the prophets who were on the other side of the Jordan that I believe saw some of this sign. But nobody was there like Elisha. Elisha really got this you know, amazing sign of God in his face. And that was really to encourage him, encourage him in doing what he had to do, which was a prophet. Um, which I mentioned was also what I remember Rick trying to do for me before I preached <coughs> for the first time at Calvary, trying to encourage us. If the Lord called you for something, he'll provide the power to do it. The only thing you need to do is be a channel that he can use to display his power. And we see it really here at the end, the last verse or two of the passage with Elisha. Uh, it's neat to me that the Lord also is doing something special to encourage Elisha here. It's not just Elijah. It's the mantle again. I don't know if you noticed. The one thing, Elijah, God comes and picks up Elijah, but he leaves something behind. What do you know? It's the mantle. And uh, I think it does two things. One is it's a reminder of the authority that God has given Elisha. It's a reminder of his calling. Look, I haven't forgotten Elisha. Yes, I called you to this job. Elijah came and he put the mantle behind, you know, on your shoulders. I really meant it. Here it is. <laughs> you need to do the job. It's me. I really called you for it. And the other, uh, maybe a special encouragement, that's what Elijah used to divide the Jordan, the miracle that just happened. There was no magic in the mantle. But it, it was a sign, a symbol, something to encourage Elisha in what he had to do next, or really had to do for the Lord, uh, answer the calling that he had. And uh, there's Elisha, obviously soaring about the last of Elijah, but he has the mantle in his hand, he's seen it. He's there, you can see him standing by the Jordan River, and you wonder, what will he do? Because I'm sure various things were going through his mind. Is the Lord really with me? Will God really be here for me like he was for Elijah. Can I really do this job that God is asking me to do? And it was obvious, pretty obvious what God wanted him to do because he was on the wrong side of the Jordan. All his friends were on the other side. He got there by Elijah dividing the river. It's possible he could have hiked some miles out of the way and found a ford to cross over. But that's obviously not what God wants to do. It's pretty obvious here. Look, this is how you came. This is where your friends are. Here you go, Elisha. It's your turn. And he has to make the decision. Will I do it? 
Will I step forward? Will I try to walk through this river like Elijah did? And uh, you can see really to the very end there was some, you know, he was struggling it because he cries out, he, you know, he takes the mantle, he, divides, he hits the river, and he says, where is, where is uh, the Lord, the God of Elijah? He still hasn't owned up God for himself, still hasn't fully believed. His, his vision is still dim, but, but he has enough to do what he needs to do, and God honors it. I mean, God was there all the time. God could have divided the river before, but he wanted that first step of faith by Elisha. And there Elisha took it, and God divided uh, the river for him. Uh, it's not always going to be so with Elisha. It's neat to see uh, the growth. Uh, we, we, uh, Elisha covers a, a really a very significant part of, of uh, a Second King, and we're not going to have time for all of it. Uh, obviously not today. We're almost out of time. But there was one neat passage that really showed how Elisha grew. This was the beginning of his ministry, uh, the beginning of fulfilling his call. In Second uh, Kings chapter uh, 6, I can just read it if you don't want to turn there. Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 15. Uh, this is, uh, Elisha is, is uh, staying at a village and the king of Syria is coming to get him. <clears throat> because he's been telling on the king of Syria to the king of Israel, telling him everything that the king of Syria was planning to do and ambush him. And king of Syria finds out that Elisha knows his every move and he figures he's got to take him out first. And so uh, he sent this army. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master... What shall we do? So now Elisha is the master in this particular relationship. He's now the man of God. So Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, Elisha's learned. He's, he's come to trust God and realize God was with him. And even when an army, a foreign army was surrounding him to destroy him, Elisha wasn't afraid. He knew his God was, was with him to deliver him. And really, that's what God wants with us. He, he doesn't want us to be afraid uh, whenever we have a challenge. But uh, he wants us to trust in him. Uh, one reason for fear, uh, if, I, if I were to think back to my struggle that day, and really it's a struggle almost every time I preach for some uh, time of, of fear, it really has to come from the fact that I don't have the power. I don't have the power to preach. I don't have the power to serve God. I don't have the power to bless other people with the power of God. It's not in me. All I can do is simply be a vessel. That's what he wants. And uh, as long as I look to myself and I'm looking for comfort in my ability, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll feel inadequate because I am inadequate. But if I look to God, then it's the power of God. All I need to do is be, be a channel uh, for him. And really, this is the last uh, lesson we take here from Elisha in filling our call uh, for God. There has, we have to, at some point, believe God. Uh, we're not going to feel adequate. I don't know what specific calling has, the Lord has for you, and I believe that our calling might change. Uh, he may have you doing one thing today, and maybe in a year from now he'll have something else for you. But I believe the Lord wants to use you to bless people. That's what Jesus said. He who believes in me, out of his heart will come rivers of living water. And he's talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit 
in the lives of others. God wants to use you. And I believe God has communicated that to you in one way or another. There's some thing, there's some area in your life that God's been pointing to. Or if he hasn't yet, he will. And really, the last thing we need, uh, you can have all the preparation in the world. Elisha had a lot of preparation. He did a lot of things right from the beginning, but at the end, he still felt inadequate. There has to be that first step of faith. You just have to believe God. And trust, even though you don't have the power, God has it. All you need, all you need to do is to step forward and let God work for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. Uh, your uh, blessings to us are innumerable if we start tracing them. And uh, we certainly can add this blessing to it, that you desire to use us as a vessel of the blessings of God to others. Lord, uh, if uh, uh, you haven't communicated to somebody that's sitting in the audience and is wondering, well, what's your call for me? What, what is it you want me to do? Lord, I pray that uh, you might communicate that, that you might have a man like Elijah come and lay a mantle on their shoulders and help them see exactly what it is you want them to do. Uh, If it is uh, some other areas of their life that they haven't let go of or haven't uh, been willing to receive the help you have for them, Lord, we pray for the humility and uh, all the uh, other things that you need to accomplish in their lives to make them a ready vessel. And finally, Lord, I pray for help for them in the first step that you'd have them to do, that they might trust in you for the power that you provide. In Jesus' name.